morning, TLC. Uh, we should start a thing with that bumper that whoever's teaching just has to like break dance during the uh, during that song. It's pretty great, right? Hey, my name is Austin. I'm a pastor here at TLC. I get to teach every now and again. Uh, and uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing a series that we started last week uh, in the book of Philippians called The Pattern. Uh, we have a pretty sweet like graphic thing going on. I dig it. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, and Philippians is a book uh, in the Bible. It's a letter written to by Paul, uh, a guy named Paul, to a church in the city of Philippi. And this is a, a letter that uh, Paul shares like a lot of his heart, and he cares a ton about these people. And he's instructing and encouraging them uh, in their faith in Jesus. So this this letter uh, is just it's it's ancient, uh, but relevant for us this morning. And this morning we're going to take a shift. Uh, last week, Torin kicked off our, our sermon series and, and kicked off Philippians in the first 11 verses where Paul basically like shares his greeting, his introduction uh, to the church, the city in Philippi. And this morning, uh, we take a shift where Paul sort of uh, begins to explain some crucial information. He starts to share sort of his situation. He explains it, and then he gives his reaction to it. Because in a letter, like if you had a friend who was writing you a letter, and this friend was in prison... Uh, you'd be pretty interested to hear how they're doing, where, what their situation is, and to hear their reaction for it. Uh, but before we get, begin, uh, today's Father's Day, right? Can we give it a, a nice round of applause for fathers, fathers in the room? Uh, I think Dave mentioned this already, but we've got some, uh, some brats uh, for everyone after service, which is going to be great. Uh, but I figured I'd start this morning with a, a quick story about my dad. Before I, before I do, though, I've got a picture of my dad and I. Uh, he actually just got ordained last Sunday, so I was uh, out of town last weekend. I actually got to speak at his ordination, which was a really cool thing. So before I tell the story about my dad, let me just say my dad's amazing. I would not be where I'm at. I would not be who I am without this guy right here. And so if you're a dad, uh, you should, if you think I'm bad now, you should have seen me in middle school, okay? So what you do is so important. Uh, you have such an impact on your children's lives. Uh, I know that because I've experienced it. So now, but... My dad does this thing, okay, uh, where he will text me. So he lives in Indianapolis. Uh, that's where I'm from. And he'll text me every now and again, and he'll say, just two words, call me. Which is like the most, like, anxiety-driven thing you could receive, right? Like, I get it, and I'm, and I'm a millennial, right? So I never have time to actually talk on my cell phone, like, that's not what this thing's for, right? It's for texting, Bleacher Report, Instagram, whatever. It's not for talking on the phone. But when I see that, like, my heart starts pumping, and I'm like, what could be going wrong? And so I try and call him right away. But if I don't have time to call him, like, I'm in a meeting or whatever, of course I text him back right away, and I'm like, what's going on? To which he replies, call me when you get a chance. No, tell me now what's going wrong. Like, you can't say, call me, and then not express what's going on. Like, you know, did something terrible happen, or did you just want to tell me what you had for lunch today? And sometimes it's that, and the other time, you know, it's something that isn't great that happened. But my anticipation, like, my level of anxiety is, like, through the roof. Now, I'm guessing for the Philippians that that's, like, multiplied by 100, okay, because Paul has, for the first 11 verses, he's like expressed his love and his thankfulness for these people. But this is their beloved friend who's in prison. So they're probably reading the first 11 verses like, dude, come on, get to the, get to the stuff we want to know about. And Paul starts the, the portion of the text that we're going to be reading this morning. He says, and we'll read it uh, really soon, but he says, he begins with saying, I want you to know what has happened to me. 
And when he says, I want you to know what has happened to me, that's sort of like the ancient way in ancient letter writing, which I'm sure, you know, we're all familiar with the, the uh, lingo of ancient letters, but uh, that phrase is a phrase that sort of uh, dictate, or dictates that Paul is transitioning from a greeting or an introduction to like the crucial information of the letter. So he's transitioning like, I love and I'm thankful for you, but like here's the good stuff. Here's the situation that I'm in. Here's my reaction to it. And so that's where we pick up this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. So if you guys want to turn in your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen. Uh, but if you, if you don't have a... Yeah. Oh. oh, sorry. Is it... Uh, we got a lot. It's going to keep popping if I don't do this. I'm going to help you out. Thank you, sir. Because I'm a dad. Happy Father's Day, right? Oh, my gosh. There we go. There we go. Everything happens really smoothly here at TLC all the time. We never have stuff like that. <laughs> so Philippians 1, chapter 12, or Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 30. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, just raise your hand. We'll have some people that are uh, going to be bringing them by. Uh, so here we, we'll pick up in verse 12. We'll read all through verse 30, but we'll focus. This is a lot, but we'll focus on a few uh, verses. So Paul says this. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so, do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I will eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I want to jump back to the, the beginning. Paul says that, I want you to know I am in chains for Christ, and me being in prison has actually served to advance the gospel. This dude, Paul, is crazy. He's wild. When explaining his situation, he's in prison, falsely in prison, right? Like, all he's been doing is telling other people about Jesus, and he's in prison for it, and he explains it positively. Like, that's crazy. That would be like, uh, the best uh, analogy I could come up with this week was, that'd be like if you had a friend who went to a Nickelback concert, 
And the next day, you were like, hey, man, how was that Nickelback concert? And they were like, oh, it was amazing. Uh. <laughs> Do we have any Nickelback fans in the room? Not anymore. They're, they're walking out right now. <laughs> no, like, it's crazy that Paul is in prison, and he's, expla- he's explaining his situation as positive. That's wild. And why does he explain it as positive? Because it served to advance the gospel is what he says. You see, Paul may be in chains, but the gospel is not. Paul may be in chains, but the gospel is not. And Paul gives two ways that the gospel is not in chains, right? He says there's two ways that my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. The first is with the palace guard. In other words, like the the prison guards, right? Because Paul's in chains. He's in a prison, and so there's guards that are on rotation. And uh, talk about a great way to work Jesus into the conversation. Just go to prison for him, okay? Like, I, here's what I mean. So my job uh, allows me to sort of like work my faith into a conversation in a way that's kind of easy. Because uh, anytime someone asks me like the most common question you might ask someone, like, so what do you do? I always tell them, like, I'm a pastor at a local church in Grand Rapids. And so sometimes people hear that and they go like this. You know, they just walk away like it kills the conversation. Other times, it's a cool conversation. They're a Christian or whatever. or Maybe they're not a Christian at all, but we get to talk about faith and, and where they're at in their journey and things like that. But it's easy to work faith into a conversation. But Paul, this dude, he's Jay chilling in prison. And anytime someone asks him, hey, what got you in here? Which, by the way, my guess is that's like the go-to conversation in prison. Like, you know how like the, in the normal world, like weather is like the ultimate neutral thing? Like, you can talk with anyone about the weather, you know, like, so uh, it's really raining outside, and somebody else is like, yeah, I know, it's crazy, right? Like, you can just do that, and people just respond. My guess is that how you got into prison is like the weather in the normal world. So, like, anytime it's, like, awkward, you're, like, eating your bad food. At least it's bad food in the movies, so I'm guessing it's bad food in prison. I've never been. Uh, But you're like, so what got you in here? You know, it's like the go-to conversation. So these guards are like on their rotations, and Paul's like in chains, you know, and uh, one of them gets to, you know, cell block D or whatever. Paul's there, and they're looking, and he's looking at them. They're looking at him. It's like, this is awkward. So what got you in here? You know, it's like the go-to conversation. Was it murder, tax evasion, robbery? What was it? And every time they ask that question, Paul probably says, well, actually, it was none of those things. You see, I've been talking way too much about this guy named Jesus. I don't buy this whole idea that Caesar of Rome is the king of the universe. Like, I don't buy that. This whole Roman Empire thing, it's a scam. See, I believe Jesus is the life-saving, life-giving savior of the universe. And the guards are probably like talking, you know, like in between shifts, in between days. They're probably like, dude, I was on rotation in cell block D yesterday. Have you talked to that guy, Paul? That dude is crazy. He said that that, he believes that that, remember that Jewish prophet named Jesus? Yeah, he says that that guy raised from the dead. Apparently, there's a whole group of people that are with him on this. They, they believe this, that Jesus raised from the dead. He's the life-giving savior of the universe. They refuse to offer sacrifices to any god. They refuse to worship Caesar. Caesar doesn't even know what to do with them because they refuse to fight back. They believe that you should love your enemies. These guards are probably like, have you talked to this guy? This guy It's crazy. But you see, these people are getting to know who Jesus is through Paul's imprisonment. Because Paul may be in chains, but the gospel is not. 
So that's the first way he says that it's served to advance the gospel. The second way is through the group of Christians that are in Rome. Paul is being imprisoned in Rome around 60 AD. And so he is in prison and these other Christians are seeing and they're experiencing the way that Paul is risking and sacrificing everything to share his faith. Now, Rome, around 60 AD, when Paul's writing this letter, is not exactly the safest place to be for Christians, okay? If you, if you tried to share your faith, you tried to talk about Jesus with your family member, your friend, your coworker, whoever it might be, you risked prison at best, and you risked death at worst. This was serious stuff, but these Christians in Rome who are in the same place where Paul is being imprisoned are being inspired, and they're beginning to share their faith, it says, courageously and without fear. Have you ever been truly inspired by someone? Not like inspired like you were on Instagram and you saw someone who weighed like 300 pounds and then you saw them and they weighed 100 pounds and you were like, I'm going to start working out six days a week and taking a lot of protein. And then like two weeks later, you're like back on the couch. Not that type of inspired. Like truly inspired. I remember uh, I was at a conference when I was in high school and there was a pastor there who shared with a group of us. Him and his wife, years and years ago, had planted a church in Southeast Asia. And uh, he shared with us how God had, once they planted that church, God began to use that church in incredible and powerful ways. Literally hundreds of people were being baptized. Hundreds of people putting their faith in Jesus. And he shared it wasn't long after that that began to happen that this church, this group of people in Southeast Asia, began to experience some serious persecution. And it wasn't long after that until a group of men came to this man's house, this pastor's house, and they beat him within an inch of his life, and they murdered his wife. As tears filled his eyes, and he, he expressed the feelings and the, and the anger and all of the different things that he was dealing with in that moment, he, he shared how when he was able to regain his strength, when he was able to regain his health, he continued in ministry at that church in that city. And that's not even the crazy part. He told us how years and years after that, he was at a, a group, a meeting with some pastors reporting on how his ministry was doing. He told this group of pastors, 12 people were baptized. 12 people stepped into faith with Jesus. And when he said that, he, he said the group of pastors looked at him around the room and they were surprised, almost disappointed. They were used to hearing big numbers, these massive uh, work that God was doing in, in this pastor's church. And so this pastor then had to explain to them that the number 12, the, the 12 people that had been baptized, the 12 people that had stepped into faith in Jesus were 12 of the people who had years ago beat him within an inch of his life and murdered his wife. I remember being inspired. Like if this man could forgive those people and he could share the hope and the life that's in Jesus, and he could baptize them, and surely I could forgive. And my guess is that's a similar type of inspiration that these Christians in Rome are experiencing as they see Paul in prison, risking and sacrificing everything to share the hope and the life that's in Jesus. And so they begin to join him in that. You see, because Paul may be in chains, but the gospel is not. And after Paul shares this, after Paul shares how his imprisonment's a positive thing, it's advanced the gospel, he then like takes it another step further. 
He goes on to explain that to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? Basically saying that in good times and in suffering, in life and in death, Paul, I'm going to be content, Paul says. Because the deepest passion, his deepest desire is Christ. So whether he's released or whether he's executed, Paul wins. All he does is win, no matter what. He's like DJ Khaled. Okay? Had to work that in there somehow. But why is he saying all of this? Why is Paul saying all of this? Like, is he just bragging? Is he just like flexing on everyone saying, hey, look at me. I'm like the greatest Christian ever. No. You see, Paul has found something. Paul has found deep joy in the midst of suffering. He's found care for the gospel over his own body, and he's sharing it with us, and he's sharing it with the church in Philippi. So we should probably pay attention. Because the truth is that we all suffer. The truth is that we all bump up against evil. And Paul knows this. Paul's writing to a church in Philippi who's experiencing suffering at the hands of the Romans in the same way that he is. Paul also knows that Jesus changes everything, right? We say that all the time around here. Jesus changes everything. So Paul knows that if Jesus changes everything, Jesus even changes the way that we suffer. So if he's writing a letter to these people to instruct and encourage them in their faith in Jesus, one of the things he has to do is show them, hey, this is what suffering looks like in the pattern of Jesus. In this portion of the letter that we're focused on this morning, the portion of the letter we just read, Paul is showing and telling the, the Christians in Philippi and us what suffering, in the, what suffering looks like in the pattern of Jesus. You see, this passage, I believe this passage is a prime example of how the God that we worship in Jesus is able to take evil, able to take suffering, able to take death. For Paul, it's imprisonment, false imprisonment and suffering. For us, it could be cancer, unemployment, a family member's death, whatever it may be. We all bump up against evil. We all bump up against suffering. But this letter is a prime example of how the God that we worship in Jesus is able to take that evil and he's able to cut into it with redemption and he's able to dig out good and he's able to dig out beauty because that's what God does. Here's the sucky part. Oftentimes we don't follow in the pattern of Jesus. We don't have Paul's perspective when it comes to suffering and when it comes to evil. Many a times we respond in one of two ways. We sort of have like a default setting. When we bump up against evil, when we bump up against suffering, we respond in one of two ways. The first way over here is we sort of get angry at God. We shake our fists at God and we say, God, why would you allow this to happen? So we doubt God. We turn away from the gospel, we turn away from the church, and we walk away from the God that we no longer believe in because how could he let that happen? Some of you may have been here at some point in your life. Some of you may be here right now. And then others of us, the other default setting, the other response, when we bump up against evil, we bump up against suffering, we say, well, God is in control. God's in control. It's all, all part of God's plan. We sound like Drizzy Drake. We've got a picture of Drake. I had to show this. 
That's the greatest picture I will ever show in any sermon I ever give in my entire life. That is Drake depicted as a medieval saint. Regardless of how you feel about him as a, as a music artist, he's not the greatest theologian, and he's definitely not a saint, okay? But that's, that's, how, that's what we do. When we bump up against evil, we bump up against suffering. You've probably heard it so many times in church. It's all in God's plan. There's a reason for your suffering. There's a reason for what you're going through. Now, there's probably some truth in this, right? But the problem is that both sides, both default settings, getting angry at God, saying, why God? And saying, well, it's all, it's all part of God's plan. He's, he's the one making all this happen, and there's definitely a reason for it. Both sides put all the blame of evil on God. Both, both sides put the sole responsibility of evil on God. They say it's all God's fault. And the reality is, life is not that simple. Life is not that simple to just say, well, all of the responsibility of evil is on God. Lucky for us, though, we see a different response. We see a different perspective throughout Scripture, throughout the life of Jesus, and, and Paul is putting it on clear display in this letter. You see, Paul is showing us what the hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering looks like. You see, because the hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering is not that the tomb doesn't exist. The hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering is not that the tomb is all there because it's all, all God's purpose. It's all God's reason. He's the one that put the tomb there. No. You see, the hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering is that the tomb is empty. The hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering is not that everything that you go through, a divorce, cancer, unemployment, family members, death, that the hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering is not that those things are all a direct will of God. He's making all of that happen. No, the hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering is that whatever you go through, family members, death, unemployment, cancer, whatever it may be, is that God is with you at your side. That's the hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering. That he is right there with you, fighting with you, working with you to bring good and beauty out of the evil and out of the suffering. Because Jesus is a suffering God and the tomb is empty. He has defeated sin. He has defeated evil. He has defeated death. You see, when you follow Jesus... When you give him everything, you say, not my will, but your will be done. God is able to step into that moment. In that moment, God's able to step into your life. And he is able to cut into whatever you've experienced, whatever suffering you are in. And he's able to cut into that with redemption and bring the good and the beauty out of it. He's able to work for the good of all things in your life. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, if you want to check it out later. All the things that you've experienced, all the suffering that you've endured, he's able to redeem that and make it good and make it beautiful. But please, 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 please do not misunderstand me this morning. I am not saying, I am not saying that death and suffering will always be evil. Or sorry, I am saying that death and suffering will always be evil. <laughs> gotcha, just make sure you're paying attention. 
death and suffering will always be evil, okay? Paul is not saying otherwise. Paul's not trying to say that, well, sometimes death is actually good, and sometimes evil is actually good. No, he's saying death and suffering will always be evil. Murder, false imprisonment, poverty, abuse, those things are always evil. But Paul is saying and showing us that we worship a God who is able to take that evil and take that suffering that was not his heart for your life, that was not his plan for your life, and he's able to cut into that with redemption and bring good and beauty out of it for his redemptive purposes. You see, God is making all things new. He's, he's making life out of death. You see, we may be in chains, but the gospel is not. That is the hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering. And with all this in mind, like this is amazing stuff. This will, this will change your life. Literally, I mean, literally, it will change your approach to suffering because Jesus changes everything, right? But with all this in mind, it's really easy to miss a profound yet simple aspect of Paul's letter. You'll notice that when Paul is asked, given the opportunity to talk about how he is doing, Paul shares about how the gospel of Jesus is doing. It's almost like you could ask Paul two questions. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? And hey, Paul, how's the gospel of Jesus doing? And you would get the same response. You see, Paul's happiness and the advancement of the gospel are one and the same thing. They cannot be separated, which is crazy. When Paul is writing this letter, his life is falling apart at the seams. His physical comfort, gone. His position against secular authorities, gone. The opinions of others about him, gone. Whether or not he's going to be released and live or be executed and die, he has no idea. His life is falling apart at the seams. And even in that moment, his main concern is if people are coming to know the hope and the life that's in Jesus. Paul's happiness and the advancement of the gospel are one and the same thing. You see, Paul knows, Paul lives, Paul breathes the hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering. He knows that the tomb is empty. He knows that God is working alongside of him and fighting with him to bring good and beauty out of the evil and the suffering that he's found himself in. That's why Paul has deep joy in the midst of suffering. That's why Paul has care for his own for the gospel more than he has for his own body. That's why Paul knows that while he may be in chains, the gospel is not. But here's the really, really hard part. The really, really hard part that I wrestled with all week is that Paul expects the Philippians to have the same perspective. Paul expects the Philippians' happiness and the advancement of the gospel to be one and the same thing. And Paul expects us to have the same perspective. For our happiness and the advancement of the gospel to be one and the same thing. For someone to ask you, hey, how are you doing? And you immediately respond with how the good news of Jesus is doing. And for some of us, it may be easier. For me, I have lived an easy life. Truly. I haven't bumped up against much evil. I haven't bumped up against much suffering. To be honest, I kind of have like this fear like, you know, it's all going to come at once or something like that. And for some of you, this might be really, really hard. You've bumped up against so much evil and so much suffering. You're there right now in the evil, in the suffering, saying, what are you talking about, Paul? What are you talking about, Austin? How can my happiness and the advancement of the gospel be one and the same thing? That's impossible. 
I kept wrestling with this all week. Like, how do we do this? This is all great, right? But if, if we can't implement this into our lives as Christians, as people who want to follow in the pattern of Jesus and want our happiness and the advancement of the gospel, we want the same thing, but we have no idea where to start. Where, what do we do? I don't have a ton of answers. But I did. I did come across an exercise. Not like a jumping jacks or something like that but a sort of reflective exercise, a thought exercise that I thought this would be a great start this morning. Something that we could engage in together as a church this morning and something that we could engage in on our own time whenever we're going, whenever we're bumping up against evil, bumping up against suffering, something that reorients our hearts towards the pattern of Jesus that helps bridge that gap between our happiness and the advancement of the gospel. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're actually going to go through that exercise. So the band's coming up. They're just going to play some ambiance music as we sort of reflect. And what I'd love for you to do is if if you have a a piece of paper, uh, a handout that you came in with, uh, there's a notes portion on the handout that you were given. Hopefully you haven't taken too many notes. I haven't said that that much stuff. Uh, It's been pretty short, right? Uh, And if you have that, that's great. Pull out a pen. If you don't and you need a piece of paper and a pen, would you just raise your hand? we got some people that are bringing by uh, paper and pens. And if you're like, I don't really want to write and I have my phone, that's cool. It's the digital age, right? Just pull out your phone, go to your notes section, uh, and do do it on your phone on your notes. Whatever is cool. Uh, But please, please do engage in this exercise. I believe that this is a great way for us to start to move in to this to this perspective, this way of being. You see, this isn't like a a task that we can just three steps, boom, 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 and we're there. Happiness, advancement of the gospel, one and the same thing. This is a way of being, a perspective that we have to cultivate, that we have to allow the Holy Spirit to grow in us. And so I think that this morning that this is a great start. So I really encourage everyone uh, to take part in this exercise. It may be hard for some, it may be easy for others, uh, but I think it will will be great all around. So what I want you to do is, on that piece of paper, on your phone, whatever it may be, uh, I want you to write three lines. So the first line I want you to write, what has happened to me, in quotation marks. That's how Paul opens his letter, this portion of the letter, right? He says, what has happened to me? And in a moment, when I pray and I step down and we're, we're taking some time to reflect, I want you to write, what has happened to you? What evil or suffering are you in? Right now, or maybe that you've been in, the first thing that jumps in your mind that what has happened to you? What evil have you bumped into? What suffering have you bumped into? And we're going to leave this up for a little bit uh, as as we reflect, so uh, don't stress about it going away as soon as I'm done reading it. The second line, I I want us to write on the second line, the hope of the Jesus pattern in quotations. That's what Paul is expressing to us, demonstrating to us, displaying for us, is the hope of the Jesus pattern in suffering, right? So I want you to take some time and I want you to to think through, reflect, and write, how has God used that, the evil or suffering that you've bumped into, that you wrote about on the first line, how has God used that for good? And for good, I mean Paul's version of good, which means to share Jesus with others. How has Paul used that evil or that suffering to share Jesus with others? Don't be afraid to write, I don't know. Can I just say that this morning? Don't be afraid to like come up with some bogus answer that you're like, maybe. If you don't know, be honest with God. Say, I don't know. God, show me. And then the third line that I want us to write in quotations is, because of this, I rejoice. This is how Paul ends his letter. Because of this, I rejoice. And, and under this portion, I want you to think through what is God at work in a redemptive way in your life? 
What do you see God cutting into the evil and the suffering in your life? What do you see him cutting into with redemption to bring good, to bring beauty out of? Not because those things are all of a sudden good and beautiful. No, they're still evil. They're still suffering. But remember, we serve a God who's able to come alongside us, work alongside of us to bring good out of that evil because that's what God does. That's the hope of the gospel. We may be in chains, but the gospel is not. And so I just wanna, I want to I want to close in prayer, and, and we're going to take a minute or two. of uh, We'll bring the lights down. We'll uh, just have some music playing to just reflect, and then we're going to move into a time of worship. And if, and if you need more time as we worship, feel free to continue writing, continue reflecting. Because of this, we rejoice. We may be in chains, but the gospel is not. Remember that this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you with thanks in our hearts. We thank you for the gift of life that you bless us with this morning, the breath in our lungs. We didn't earn it. We, we don't deserve it, but you gave it to us. Father, we want to follow in the pattern of your son, Jesus, the hope and the life that's in him, and we know that he changes everything for us. He even changes the way that we suffer. Would you, would you open our hearts and open our minds and open our hearts open our eyes to, to the way that that works. Would you bridge the gap between our happiness and your son Jesus being more known in the world? Would you make that the sole desire, the sole, the sole passion of our lives? And would you make this time, this, ref, this reflective time, a part of that? I pray that not in my name or anyone else's name, not even the local church's name. I pray that in Jesus' name. To you be the hope and the power and the glory forever and ever. Holy Spirit, come. Amen.